As most of you know and realize uh, firsthand, we're in the second week of kind of being confined to our homes and shut down. And I know that's having a strong effect on a lot of people. And maybe it's having an effect on you. It's uh, having an effect on a lot of us. And I hope you're making it through it. Uh, if you're local in the Wheeler area and you need something, you need some spiritual uh, counseling or you need something in a physical manner, uh, contact one of us. You can leave a comment. We'll get back with you. Uh, we'd love to help people in any way we can during this present difficult time that we're, we're enduring here. This evening I want to consider a question which I suppose has been asked since man was created and probably right up until the last newscast that you might have watched. And that question is why? It's a simple question, but more specifically, uh, we might ask, why does God allow suffering? We know that there are a lot of people suffering right now. We know there's a lot of heartache. There's been a lot of death. A lot of people in uh, horrible condition in hospitals. But even beyond that, people that may be shut in, that it's, it's difficult for them and they're suffering from that. God seems to allow this to go on and on, and we wonder why He allows heartache and suffering, even among His children, those who, who He loves the most. You know, every day people get injured, they die, and they ask why. People lose everything they own in a fire, in a tornado, in a hurricane, and we want to know why. People get sick, and they suffer from terrible disease, and we wonder why. Why does all of this happen? And the question itself is not a bad question if you don't ask it in an accusatory attitude, in an accusatory way. If you ask it with an open and honest heart, really wanting to know what the truth is, it's a legitimate question. And our purpose for the study this evening is not to determine the origin or the cause of suffering. Maybe if we have an opportunity, we'll do that at a later date but just to understand simply why does God allow it. A side note to that, when we begin to understand why God allows it, we'll notice something, and that is that Christians can rejoice during suffering. And that brings about another question. How or why are Christians able to do that? But there's several reasons we're going to talk about for a little while this evening. The first being that suffering keeps us, keeps this world from becoming too attractive. You know, we have a lot of blessings in this world. We have a lot of good things that happen to us in this world, and we enjoy a lot of things in this world. But when it comes down to it, the thing we don't enjoy is suffering. And if there was nothing ever happened in this world that caused us to, to suffer and to see the hardship of this world, then why would we want to seek a better place? And we know a better place awaits us. Why would we want to seek a better time when there is no sorrow or suffering? And yet well, here we are in this time and there is. So suffering itself can cause us to, to keep this world from being too attractive. You know, the Bible tells us that we don't really belong here anyway. We're only here for a short period of time. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. 
We're told about fleshly lust about here. This is part of the world. This is what the world has in store for us. But it shouldn't matter because this is not our home anyway. Our home is in a better place. We're just a stranger here. We're just a pilgrim here. We're someone who is here for a short period of time. And God has something better planned for us. A better day, a better time. In 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1, the Bible tells us, for we know, we know this, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We know this. And this will cause us to appreciate that knowledge better. But think about what would happen if there was no suffering. If this world was perfect, as far as we can see perfection, if it was perfect as far as we can see it, it would be impossible for us to desire a better place. No one would want to leave this world. No one would desire that eternal home in heaven which has been promised and which God has prepared for us. No one would do what is necessary to get there. I want you for a moment to consider the order of life. It's very interesting to think about this. You know, we're born and we're a bundle of, en of energy. We, uh, we love life, we, we laugh, but we desire to be the center of attraction. We desire to be the center of attention. And attention is lavished on us. When we are very young as babies, we expect that. And we grow, and, and over a period of time, we become young adults. And you know the thing about young adults is when we get to that age many times and I guess for most of us most of the time we think all of a sudden that we're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. We don't think we can be harmed. We think we'll live forever when we're that age. And then life happens. And we realize it's not true. It's not true at all. The Bible teaches us that a 70 years is about all we can expect out of life. In Psalms 90 and verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So 70 or 80 years is the most we can expect. Some of us don't last that long. But I want you to notice something. Yet is their strength and labor and sorrow or strength when we're young. And then we labor. We begin to labor. And then it's not long before the sorrow of old age begins to set in. And usually by that time we begin to seriously think that there's got to be something better. We begin to think about that. And I'd urge the young folks today to begin to think of that before you get old. And consider that sooner rather than waiting until you're old. Suffering can also bring out the best in people. Most people who have endured suffering have witnessed this firsthand. You know, sometimes when you're suffering, you get constant support from friends, from brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe food is prepared for you. Maybe financial support is given. There are phone calls made, cards, texts, letters, texts through the phone. And it helps. 
to realize that people are thinking about you. They're thinking about the trials that you're enduring and they're concerned for you. It brings out the best in people. And we see this, I'm sure everyone's seen this quite frequently in times of natural disasters. Maybe when someone's lost everything they own through a fire. Maybe when there's a terminal illness. Maybe when there's a virus going on all over the world and it's got people confined to their homes. And we realize that we're thinking about one another and we care for one another. Suffering teaches us to do this. Suffering causes us to learn this hard lesson. And this may be one of the reasons, it may be the reason, that the early Christians were able to rejoice in times of suffering and trials. You know, they endured more than we probably ever will, no matter what happened. And they understood that tribulation could develop character. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. We glory in tribulation. That's just a strange concept to the world. You can't glory in the face of tribulation. Paul said they did. He said, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Who knew? Who knew that a little suffering could teach you so much? That tribulation could teach you how to be patient in this life. And that patience gives you the opportunity to become experienced. Experienced at suffering. Experienced at coming through suffering. Experienced at getting past suffering. Experienced at enduring suffering. And that experience teaches you that there's something better to work toward. A reward at the end. Something we may not think of often when we're considering suffering is that it gives us an opportunity to silence the enemies of God. The best example I can think of this is Job. We know that Job was an upright man, that he didn't like evil, he liked good. And he lived his life in that manner. And God was, was pleased with Job. And he asked Satan if he had ever considered Job and the uprightness of his ways. And Satan wanted to prove God wrong. He wanted to prove to God that Job only served God because of the blessings that he had placed upon him. But we see that Job's patience and his endurance silenced Satan. And eventually he walked away. There was nothing more he could do. Nothing more he could say. And in that same manner, God expects us today to silence foolish accusations. In 1 Peter 2, verse 15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know there are people that ridicule the teachings of Christ, and they say they're antiquated and outdated that they're no longer valid. And then they say a Christian suffering and enduring that suffering, bearing up under those trials, and they say, wait a minute, what's going on here? That would probably destroy me, and yet this person is bearing up. And suddenly they want to know why. They want to know how. They bring about other questions. And they want to know why you're happy and hopeful in this terrible time. 
Some say Christians are, are uh, too weak to stand on their own. So they look to, to an unknown God for strength because they're so weak. But then they see the, these same people enduring affliction that they themselves don't think they could endure. And they do it without complaint. And they remain hopeful and rejoice in those times. And they want to know how. And it puts to silence foolish objections of men. We ought to use that opportunity every chance we get. Also, suffering teaches us to be grateful. We, we receive so many blessings in this life. Blessings beyond our ability to count. Blessings beyond our ability to even remember or recognize. And it's easy to begin to take them for granted. Instead of receiving them with the gratitude that we should have, the gratitude toward God. But suffering can make us appreciate them more fully. You know, it's been said for a long time that you can't appreciate good health until you've lost it. And I think that's very true. You can't appreciate those who truly love you and care about you until trying times comes. And when they don't neglect you and when they don't turn their back on you, then you appreciate them more fully. The Apostle Paul was a, a victim of this kind of circumstance in Philippians, the first chapter, beginning in, in verse 3. Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He was thankful for the church at Philippi. He was thankful for those folks. And he also returned what they were doing for him. He said, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. When he prayed, he prayed for them. And he prayed for their joy. And he prayed for they would be upbuilded. He said in verse 5, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, he was grateful for the labor that they put out in the gospel. Paul was grateful for these things. And he returned it in kind. In verse 6 he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. He says a couple of things in this verse I want you to notice. First of all, we see why the reason for this writing. Paul was in prison. He wasn't able to be with the people he wanted to be. You know, we're in a similar situation right now. Although we're not in prison and we can move about to some extent, we're confined in some ways. We're not to move about like we normally do. And this was a, a, a source of, of depression for Paul because he couldn't be with the people he wanted to be with. And some of you and, and, and us today may be in the same situation. Maybe we can't be out and among people like we want to be. And it's a drain on us. But Paul says, I know you're out there. And I know you love me. And he says something in the end of this verse that is, is more, a, a more beautiful point of love than anything I could ever say. He says, ye are all partakers of my grace. You know what he's saying there? He says, any grace that God has given me because of your love for me and because of the prayers you give me and because of the support you give me, you own a part of it. You own a portion of it. He wanted them to be 
a part of it. Verse 8 tells us, For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Simply because the Philippians was here, were his brothers and sisters in Christ and cared about him was enough to sustain him in time of need. Suffering makes us more dependent on God. Too often we think ourselves self-sufficient, even Christians. I know my, I myself suffer from this from time to time. I just thinking I'm doing pretty good. You know, I got things under control. And I think that's the attitude of a lot of us. But when a group of the most skilled people in their profession walk into a small 12 by 12 room with you and say, we've done all we can do. There's nothing else we can do. We have no other recourse. Then suddenly you begin to realize how much you depend on God. It begins to strike home. In a time of suffering, we are more likely to realize that we truly do depend on God for every breath that we take. That's what suffering can teach us. That's why it's valuable, even though we don't like it. Paul proclaimed in Acts 17 and verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. I want to tell you something. If you live and move and have your being in the world, you have no hope. If the world is all you have, you have no hope. But when you live and move and have your being in the Lord, then you've got hope. You begin to understand why God does allow us to suffer just to improve us, to deepen our relationship with Him and to make us more complete as Christians. We begin to understand It's important that we depend on God. And sometimes we have to be taught to do that. Suffering makes us more sympathetic. Paul wrote of the value of this to the church at Corinth in his second letter. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comfort us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, but the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. It's a simple concept. It's not difficult to understand that you sympathize with someone when you have gone through the same thing they are going through, when you understand what they're going through. And this makes the, the different and many members of the congregation so important. I may not have gone through something that someone else may, may be and something you're going through to, uh, yourself and they can, they can identify with that and they understand that. You may think you can sympathize with someone but until you've really endured what they are enduring you can't understand the pain that they are going through. Experienced suffering makes us more likely to keep the command found in Romans 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. It makes us better able to serve others, better able to be sympathetic towards whatever they are suffering. <clears throat> suffering teaches us how to pray. And maybe some of you are saying, oh, oh boy, here comes the mandatory 
part of the study about prayer. You know, prayer has been a target of ridicule for forever, I guess. For some, especially those who have no faith, uh, they point to prayer and they laugh and they say, what a, what a waste of time. What a useless thing. We understand that, but you know in the past year or so, uh, I've heard many of our politicians and local officials uh, in a time of a particular tragedy or, or some, some heinous incident that has occurred, and they get in, in front of a camera and they pound the table and they say, I don't want to hear about your thoughts and prayers. I want something done. And this, this aggravates me to some extent because sometimes in this world what they don't realize is prayer is all you've got. Prayer is the only thing you have. Praying for people and trying to encourage people by letting them know you're thinking about them and the suffering they're enduring and that you spend time in prayer to God who is the only one that can change their situation. Sometimes that's worth a lot to people. It's especially worth a lot to spiritual people. Consider the present distress that we're in. People are being ordered to stay in their homes. Prayer may be the only avenue of relief they have. But even if it is the only avenue of relief you have, it's the best avenue you have. It's the Christian's direct link to God, to God Almighty, the only one that can change your situation. It's a way of appealing to the only one who can help you through whatever you're having to endure at the time. Whatever circumstance you're in. And even if he doesn't stop that circumstance, he can help you get through it. He can give you the strength to endure it. And that's worth more than anything any politician can ever give you. So let's discuss prayer for a moment. We think we know how to pray, don't we? I think that from time to time. I know how to pray. I pray for the right things at the right time. I pray maybe in the morning, before meals, maybe at night when I get ready to go to bed. I pray for the things I'm supposed to pray for, the sick, those who are going through difficult times. I pray for the spread of the gospel. I pray for for the evangelists that go about and are away from their homes and families, for their well-being, and that the work that they do will be successful. Those are all good things to pray for. Those things are necessary to pray for. So we know how to pray, right? But I'm going to tell you, until you've been in the middle of some particular suffering, something that you don't know how you're going to get out of, something that you don't know how you're going to endure, you don't know how to pray earnestly. Jesus, in Luke 22 and 44, and being in, a gar in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Jesus prayed earnestly, being in agony. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. i got a question for you. Have you ever prayed so earnestly and so fervently that the sweat just rolled off of you? That's what Jesus did. The weight of mankind was on his shoulders. He was in agony. And he prayed earnestly. 
We need to learn how to pray earnestly. And suffering can teach us that lesson. Suffering can teach us how to do that. Until you've been in that situation, you don't know how to obey the commandment of 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 that simply says, pray without ceasing. A simple command, yet so hard to do. But until you have been in a suffering, terrible situation, you don't know how to do that. You haven't been taught to do that. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, we read what is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful yet disturbing and uh, comforting scriptures that, that I know of in the Bible. Paul writes here, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Until you've been in a situation so difficult, so terrible, so intense, that you absolutely say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray for. I don't have the words. There are no words. And you begin to understand that you rely on the beauty of the Spirit to intercede on your behalf and pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. You don't know how to pray. And that's what suffering can teach us. And that is what it can train us to do. As we begin to wrap this up, I hope you can begin to see why a righteous and loving and merciful God could allow suffering to teach His people. Even the suffering of innocent people, even the suffering of, of His own children, to teach us lessons that make us better, that teach us to grow and the necessity of growing. If we look at suffering purely from man's point of view, we can't see it. We can't understand it. We can't understand why this would be allowed. So until you jack up your courage and you put your pride on the kitchen table and leave it there and look at it from God's point of view and remember what He told us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, we're not going to appreciate the fact. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When you look at suffering from God's point of view, you begin to understand. Even though it's hard, even though it's trying, even though it, it's hurtful, from His point of view, it prepares us for eternity. It prepares us to receive that promise. And then and only then can you begin to appreciate why He would allow suffering to occur. The most comforting words by Paul it reminds us how big God is and the never-ending love that He has for us. So we'll end with these scriptures. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor things, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When hard times come, I'd urge you not to harden your heart, but allow suffering to teach you what you need to learn. Remember, there's a far better place waiting for us. Suffering can teach us that. When you suffer and you see someone you love suffer, it allows it to bring out the best in you. It allows it to bring out the best in them. Use trying times as an opportunity to silence the enemies of God. How important is that? In these times, remember how you have been blessed and be grateful for blessings when you're suffering. When hard times come, remember to embrace how much you need God for every breath. And use those times as a tool to be sympathetic and helpful to others. Allow it to teach you how to earnestly pray and to realize sometimes you don't even have the words and you have to rely on the beauty of the Spirit to teach you that. Thank you for joining us this evening and I pray your suffering is short-lived and useful to you. If you've got any questions about this study or any other topic, you can ask them in the comment section or, or through Messenger. Uh, you can leave a contact point and someone will get in touch with you. I uh, want you to ask you to join us on Facebook Live for the Gospel Series sermons that we're having beginning April 1st through the 5th. That's uh, beginning this Wednesday through next Sunday. The topic will be Jesus the Way overall. It'll begin at 7.30 each evening here on Facebook Live, and we look forward to seeing you there. God bless you in these trying times and always. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.